first day of August 2022, and this is your political cheat sheet with Get Smart Politics. I'm your host, Sarah, and I'm here with Eric, the author of Get Smart Politics. And we're about 99 days until the November midterm election. We're inching in closer, still 27 months from the 2024 presidential election, but the cog is in motion for sure. We've got three top storylines for you today and a lot of primaries to go over with you, but we're going to keep it short and snappy. Um, There's just a lot going on. So, Eric, what is our first storyline today? Yeah, well, so we've been talking the past few weeks about how it seems like there's never any good news for President Biden. And we swore that if he had some, we'd actually talk about it. And this week, we finally got that good news that he's been looking for for so long. Uh, The number one thing is the gas prices have been going down over the past month or so, and that's been making things just look a little less bleak for the administration. But then he had a couple of big wins this week with the semiconductor bill passing, which we'll talk about in a second. And then also the um, sudden shocking reversal by Joe Manchin on the climate bill. Uh, It was a bunch of different things, climate, energy, health care, tax increase, a whole bunch of different things wrapped into one reconciliation package. And that one just came completely out of the blue. Nobody, even on the Hill, seemed to be aware that he was negotiating this with Senator Schumer. And that just provided a huge uh, shot in the arm for the Biden administration. It was big headlines, and it's called the most ambitious climate action undertaken by the U.S. So far, that's right. Yeah. Now, in context, though, this is like 10 percent of what they were hoping to get originally. Uh, It's more like 5% of what some people were pushing for, like Bernie Sanders. He wanted $6 trillion, and this is in the realm of like $300 billion. So it's still a big deal, but it's significantly less than what they were trying to uh, shoot for when the Build Back Better um, framework started off originally a a year or more ago. So Biden desperately needed these wins. Hopefully, I know the Democrats are hoping that it'll mitigate some of the damage, but we're still predicting a red tsunami, as you said. Um, in November, but any little bit, they'll take it, I'm sure. Yeah, the news still overall doesn't look great. It's still, it wasn't a perfect week for him, but it was a whole lot better than any they's had in recent memory. Okay, your second story, and you mentioned it before, is the semiconductor bill. And this is also called the CHIPS Act. I have to tell you, it sounds super boring to me. And it's like really hard for me to dive into it because it sounds so boring, but it's actually really important. So give me sort of a Uh, like a quick review of what it is. Sure. So the biggest piece of this, or the one that's getting the headlines, is the portion that's $52 billion to give as incentives to semiconductor manufacturers, and that's building microchips, basically, for anything and everything that we need them for. We just don't produce very many of those in America. Over 90% of the world's semiconductors are made in Taiwan, and that's a super uh, controversial area right now, or a, a place that's in flux with China continuously threatening to invade and take it over. And if 90% of the world's semiconductors went offline, we'd be in, in deep trouble. So this is trying to get more domestic manufacturing of that onshore here, um, but also providing over $200 billion for research in uh, scientific research of all kinds. Um, basically, people were really getting worried that we've fallen too far behind China in producing um, in basic science. And this is a way to, to give uh, some federal funding to that. 
And the other big part of this is that Republicans were sort of using this as a bargaining chip. Ha right. ha. See what I did there. Uh. Um, and because Schumer and Manchin kind of got together on the down low, they kind of pulled one over on McConnell. And so that's kind of a big deal, too, just in the power play exactly. over there in the Senate. Yeah. So McConnell had said right over the Fourth of July weekend, he said that if the Democrats were going to work on a, a, a reconciliation package, which is what that um, Manchin Schumer bill is, then he would not help them pass the CHIPS Act. And so he uh, when Manchin said that he was backing out and not going to negotiate anymore on the reconciliation bill, McConnell said, OK, that's fine. Then we'll move forward and help you get the CHIPS Act through. And it passed 64 to 33. And then I think it was the next day Manchin and Schumer announced that they had been secretly negotiating this reconciliation package. So the Republicans feel like they were lied to um, because now the Democrats are going to get both of these bills through. Probably um, the Democrats are just dancing with glee because they feel like McConnell has misled them or pulled one over on on them so many times that they're kind of happy to get one back. Yeah, but this means ultimately that probably a not they're not going to get a lot done for the rest of the year until we get, you know, a third new senators or, you know, um, however the race shakes out for January until we get that fresh new wave, new class in there. Um, right. 2023. Exactly. The the Senate is essentially going to have to shut down after mm-hmm. this for the rest of this year. And until the lame duck session, we might see some things. Um, after the November election before the new ones get sworn in. But even that is up for debate. Um, Senator Manchin actually said today that he he refused to state publicly when he was asked uh, whether or not he thinks there should be a lame duck session and kind of said, we'll have to wait and see. So um, there may be some big things. You know, there's always speculation that big things can get passed during a lame duck, but uh, it's not even certain that that's going to that there's going to be a lame duck this year. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see how things go in November. All right, and our third story is sort of the biggest question on everyone's mind this week, and it is, are we in a recession? Um, tell me why this might be an argument. Yeah, so traditionally, for a, a long time, economists have just sort of spoken in shorthand and said that two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction is a kind of a basic definition of a recession. Now, there's always been a lot more factors than that that go into the formal declaration of a recession. But, you know, that's for a long, long time been the way that it's generally as a rule of thumb been talked about. Now, um, the Biden administration came out on the Sunday shows last week, um, you know, trying to preemptively change that definition and say, well, that's not just because there's two in a row doesn't necessarily mean it's a recession and started this huge argument in um, and, and on the cable news shows and on Twitter about whether or not two quarters in a row is a recession. And that was because the, the Q2 numbers were coming out on, I think they were on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and they were pretty sure it was going to show a second consecutive quarter of contraction, which it did. And my take on this is just that it, that was an unforced error by the Biden administration because they made the entire conversation about a recession. And um, it's like the Streisand effect is what people call this. That was where Barbara Streisand filed a lawsuit um, in the early 90s, I think, or actually was in the 2000s, trying to keep um, pictures of her mansion out of a magazine. And all that did is make everyone want to go see those pictures. And so she drew attention to the thing she was trying to you know, get attention away from. And that seems to be what the Biden administration did here. No one would have gotten as worked up over it if they hadn't drawn so much attention to the definition. 
Okay, well, moving on, we have a ton of primaries, five states with primaries tomorrow, August 2nd. And if you are in one of the states, we highly recommend that you go out and exercise your right to vote. Um, We are going to go over a couple of these races, but I encourage you to go back to your email um, and see all of the research Erica's done on all of the primaries. The first one we're going to talk about is the Senate race in Arizona. Yeah, this one is going to be heavily watched because it's probably one of the top three um, Senate races in November. So whoever comes up against uh, Mark Kelly, who's the Democratic incumbent, is going to have a very strong chance of winning this race as the Republican challenger. But it depends on who gets through, just how strong that chance will be. Um, The top contenders at this point look like they're Blake Masters and Jim Lehman. Um, those two, so Masters was endorsed by Donald Trump and he's backed by Peter Thiel, the Silicon Valley multi-billionaire and, um, has all kinds of money in this race on both sides. Lehman is a self-made multimillionaire himself and has dumped tons of money into the race. And they seem to be kind of neck and neck as this comes down to the wire. Um, again, whichever one wins that is going to have a huge fight on their hands because Mark Kelly is no slouch and he's already raised, um, I think, somewhere north of $60 million for wow. this race. It's going to be a huge, huge race. Okay. Well, I, I mean, you haven't even called a prediction on this. You say it's going to be down to the wires. Well, so. yeah, I originally said Blake Masters um, because it was all looking like it was heading his direction. But honestly, in the past couple of weeks, um, Lehman has seemed to mount a bit of a comeback. And now it is right down to the wire. And I really don't know which one of them is going to pull it out. Masters had a few stumbles, too, and um, is not the, the most um, uh, he's, he isn't very good at keeping his mouth on message. And so he uh, made people a little worried that he wouldn't it would be a wild card. And so we'll see. It may be Lehman pulling it out in the end. OK, moving northeast, we've got um, a big ballot issue in Kansas. Yeah, this one is um, one that's watched very closely nationally because um, it really is almost an accident that this is happening when it is. But the voters in Kansas are going to be um, deciding whether or not their state constitution allows laws restricting abortion. Um, Now, the reason that this is on the ballot right after Dobbs is because uh, I think it was a year ago, the Kansas Supreme Court found that their state constitution Uh, protected the right to abortion. Um, It wasn't explicitly stated, but they found that that was uh, protected under the way that their uh, their constitution was written. And so activists there on the pro-life side decided to put it to a vote of the people and say, is that really what the constitution says? Now, if um, if this provision passes, it will not automatically outlaw abortion in Kansas. It would just allow the legislature to then uh, have the ability to write laws about abortion, but it's basically just being seen nationwide as a taste ca- a test case on uh, what voters' uh, real feelings are in the wake of the Dobbs ruling. Do we have any polling on how it's leaning? I haven't seen any yet, um, but I know that there's been a ton of money spent in the race. And I was reading an article about yesterday morning saying that there's a lot of confusion about it because of the way that it's written. It's kind of one of those double negative things where it's like, if you vote yes, then that means no, you can't have abortions or something like that. And so it's making people um, just very uncertain of how it's going to come out in, in the end. Okay. And then moving a little bit further east, 
Um, our home state of Missouri has a huge Senate race, and I know you and I are really watching this one. Absolutely. This is obviously to us, uh, being Missourians, we, we care a lot about how this one pans out. And in full disclosure, I used to work for one of the major candidates. So um, I always have said that if I if I talk about any of my um, my personal connections, I'll make sure to mention it um, so that you know that I'm um, where I'm coming from. But uh, we have the replacement to Senator Roy Blunt, who's retiring. It's going to come down to three major candidates on the Republican side in the, the primary tomorrow. And that's former Governor Eric Greitens, um, current Attorney General Eric Schmidt and current Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, and that's who I used to work for. Uh, all three of them have, at various times, been ahead in the polls. Uh, the last couple of weeks, it's looked like Schmidt has maybe had a little bit of an edge, um, but there's not a ton of polling, so um, it's actually still within oh, five points on most of the polls. A couple have been a little broader than that, but any one of those three, you could see a scenario where they could pull it out, and it could make some big waves depending on who wins it. Yeah, it's going to be a big one, especially because um, this isn't a surefire thing for Republicans in November. So yeah. it really kind of depends on who this primary candidate is for GOP. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, uncertainty about um, if Governor Greitens, who he resigned a few years ago after only, um, I think, 17 months as governor and is a pretty hard right wing candidate this time. And if he wins, it would um, have some pretty big reverberations around the country. Yeah, and Trump has, st has stayed out of this race, which has also been Correct. interesting. So. Yeah, kind of surprising because a lot of people have been speculating about that for months and months and months, and he ended up, at least to, to this point, not jumping in yet. Yeah. Well, that's what we've got for you. Um, go out and vote tomorrow if you have a primary, and we'll see you next week.